0: You're listening to the Better With Books podcast, a weekly podcast for entrepreneurs looking to bridge the gap between reading for business and reading for fun. I'm your host, Kate Hollis, conversion copywriter and part-time librarian, ready to guide you toward finding meaningful, actionable insights into yourself, your clients, and your business through works of fiction and creative nonfiction. Join me each week to discuss a new title from genres ranging from fantasy to romance and everything in between. Unconventional? Definitely. But that's where the good stuff is. Think of this as your own personal on-demand book club, one where reading the book is 100% optional and all are welcome. Come for the book recommendations and stay for the inspiration, because I think you'll find that your business and your life will be better with books. Hello and welcome to episode six of the Better With Books podcast. I have been really looking forward to this episode because the book that we're talking about is one of my all time, all time favorite books, like easily in the top five. I've gifted this book to more people than any other book in my entire life because I love it that much. and. It's a nice, light, feel-good read that will warm you up inside as much as it's warm outside. Uh, It's a fantasy novel called The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune. It was published in 2020, and I'm pretty sure I was the first person to check it out from my library because I was number one on the holds list and it's put out by a publishing house called Tor Publishing. And they specialize in sci-fi and fantasy. And I always pay close attention to what works they're supporting because I just think they knock it out of the park with their selections. And so even though the book's been out for, you know, about three years now, um, it's now available in paperback. And I'm seeing more and more people talking about it. So I think it's continuing to grow in popularity and um being available in paperback it's also ideal for bringing on the go for your summer activities the author also since putting out the house in the cerulean sea has published two other books both unrelated to this one but equally thoughtful and rich Uh, one just came out in like the last month or so and i'm currently working my way through the audiobook and, you know, unsurprisingly, I, I love it. I just think this author is really, really talented. But if I had to describe The House in the Cerulean Sea in one word, I would say that it is whimsical. And when I think of things that are whimsical, you know, what comes to mind are things like Alice in Wonderland, Luna Lovegood from Harry Potter, Wes Anderson films things that are a little offbeat, uh, but not in a way that's contrived. They're weird in, in an endearing, intriguing sort of way. So if it's a work of art, like a book or a movie, when I see something like these characters or works, I think to myself, okay, like this, this creator is doing something that many other people do. But in a way that is totally distinctive and sort of playful and so you know now that i'm like laying it out like this i feel like i could say that whimsy is actually one of my brand values and definitely something that i strive for with this podcast you know something that's a little unusual but also really cool and i you know I re- I rarely use the word whimsical actually, or really see it used that much overall. And I think that's because it's it's not a quality that there's really much room for in the world, overall, like never mind in the business world. And that makes me a little sad because when I think of whimsy, I think of things that are like wonderful, have almost a magical quality. And basically, like I see whimsy as an invitation to embrace our inner child. And I think that there's so much we can learn from children, like seriously. And I say that both as a mom of a six year old, and also as a children's librarian. Kids just have this amazing ability for flexible thinking, a natural curiosity, and a true sense of fun. And those are the things that are front of mind for me as I'm thinking back on The House in the Cerulean Sea, because not only is the book itself whimsical, um, but also because many of the central characters in the book are kids. So before we kind of dive into the business side of the inspiration that I draw from this book. Uh, let's talk about the plot a little bit, the house in the cerulean sea, um, centers on the story of a character named Linus Baker. Linus is a textbook bureaucrat and he does compliance for a government agency called the department in charge of magical youth. And Linus has no friends. No social life, no joy, no personality whatsoever, really. It's not that he's a bad person. He's just kind of blah. And he's also really good at his job because he is kind of blah. And, you know, because he's so serious, so matter of fact, um, his boss selects him for a very secretive assignment. And he's tasked with going to audit a school. That serves a small group of arguably dangerous children and their unconventional headmaster, whose name is Arthur Parnassus. And Linus has to determine if they're doing things as they're supposed to, you know, per regulations, or if they should be shut down. So Linus moves to the school, which is on a remote island on the English coast, and he's going to stay there for a month. And he meets the six students. And one of them is like a sort of dragon. Another is a fairy sprite. There's a gnome, like some kind of tentacled monster. There's a shapeshifter. And there's also a child named Lucy, which is short for Lucifer, who is the Antichrist. <laughs> So I wasn't kidding when I said that this book is whimsical. And the kids are scared of Linus, because they know he has the ability to take their home away. And he's scared of them, because he's never met anyone or anything like them before. But as he gets to know them, he starts to see that they're actually just regular kids, who are wrongfully seen as threats by the nearby town. And who aren't given the support that they need to be themselves, because the world is trying to make them fit into these narrow-minded stereotypes. And so in time, Linus starts to open up himself and realize how he has been living his life according to very specific expectations and keeping himself small so that things are more neat and tidy. But, you know, not only does he grow fond of these children, he also starts to fall in love with Arthur, the headmaster of the school, who has his own secret. And the way that their relationship develops is one of the most tender love stories I've ever read. It's just really special to behold. And You know, I think it's not only special in that regard, but also because it's a queer love story and we need more representations of queer love in mainstream media and literature. So there's some tension and conflict in the story between Linus and his employer and the nearby town and the school, but the book has just the sweetest sweetest ending i'm not kidding when i say that the first time that i read it i closed the book and i hugged it (laughs) this it just pulls at all of my heartstrings it's funny and cute and really well written characters have like depth and dimension i really really hope that this will be made into a movie. So in, it's only in preparing for this episode that I've learned that there is some controversy about the book, not about the queer romance, although I'm sure there are plenty of close-minded people who, you know, would take issue with that, but, um, but because the author supposedly took inspiration for the book from something known as the sixties scoop which was a time in Canada when indigenous children were taken from their homes and families and placed in the homes of white families. So I don't know if this is true um, or kind of you know, what the author's explanation of it is, but many people have taken issue with this fact and that the author took inspiration from something so problematic Turned it into a story that's become a bestseller and that has a happy ending. So you know this knowledge is new to me, and I I don't have full context on what's accurate. So I don't feel comfortable forming an opinion about that part just yet. Um, but I just wanted to be transparent about it in case it's something that is important to you to explore before you choose to read the book. But our conversation in this episode today is based purely on the story and the writing which are both just spectacular so turning the conversation back to business so for those of us in the entrepreneur world we all have our own reasons for going into business for ourselves right and they're all equally valid and important but more often than not they're most often practical reasons. You know, you want more time back in your life to do other things. You like being able to define your own success so that you can work how you want to work. You like the unlimited potential for earnings. And all of these things have heart behind them, and or other important reasons driving them. But we're doing them not because I mean we're doing them because they do a very specific thing, but what if we chose to do something in our business just because? You know, don't don't get me wrong. Like I know that time is money, and that the things that we do in our business will be most impactful if they are part of an overarching strategy. But what if we allowed ourselves just a little room? For things that give us the warm and fuzzies, you know. In my experience, building fun and play into my business consistently brings value to my work. And I'm not just talking about fun things like coffee dates with other entrepreneurs or retreats, but mental and creative activities that I really enjoy and that let me engage with my work and my brand in less traditional ways. You know, it both just makes me happy, but it also gives me something unique to share with my clients in my community. And it gives me energy and inspiration to feel good about the parts of my work that I enjoy, but that still tire me out because it allows me to be more innovative and that's how this podcast came to be. So in thinking back on this book that I just love so much and overall, you know, right now in my life, spending time this summer with my son and with the kiddos who visit me when I'm working in the children's room at the library, I'm thinking a lot about how much we all could learn from kids. So if you have any kiddos in your life, you've probably seen how when they are interested in something, they are so into it. So whether it's like dinosaurs, or farm animals, or a certain TV show, they throw their whole little selves into it and unabashedly share that love with everyone they meet. Like a few weeks ago, I was working at the library and I spent an hour learning all about paper airplanes from a little boy and even though like it's literally my job to be present and engaged with patrons who visit the library i was just riveted by everything that this boy taught me and when i got home i like remembered how much i used to like origami and i started kind of playing around with it again and all of a sudden just rediscovered this thing that i loved that i'd forgotten about And also that's really relaxing. So, you know, or if you've ever been around a baby who is having like a particularly delicious food for the first time, like I remember so vividly the moment that my son had bacon for the first time, like, not only is it just cute to witness, but also a reminder, like, oh. Like I know I love bacon, but he's right. Bacon really is like that amazing. I mean, like his little eyes just rolled back in his head. and it was just so cute and um a really helpful perspective shift. And you know, what I love about kids is that all of these interests and reactions are just so genuine and pure. and they also give some perspective on a word that I almost used to describe them, which is that, you know, they're unadulterated interests. And it's like, has the word adult literally in it, unadulterated. Because like we grownups can be real good at taking the fun out of stuff, unfortunately. And, you know, just like Linus was able to remember that there's more to life than work. Like no matter how much we love what we do, that it's so important to just take the time to be present and allow ourselves to be enchanted. So, you know, what would it look like if you allowed yourself to bring more whimsy into your business? And it becomes a question of not only if, but how. And it's tricky because no matter like what your brand is, your brand is something that you are strategic about. You curate it to be very specific. So, you know, if you're going to bring a little whimsy into your brand, it still has to tie in. And for many people, it's easier said than done. Like, just like it's easy to fall into reading only business books, like even our leisure time often kind of becomes productive. Something that we do for the sake of something else, you know, we work out for our health, we cook for our families, and not just because. And you know, all brands and businesses are so different. And so are people's comfort levels. So, I don't have a universal answer, but I will say this that before you bring whimsy to your brand, you have to get comfortable with it in your personal life. You know, allow yourself permission to play and to be imaginative. And some people will find this really difficult. And I found that in kind of sharing my own whimsy, that it's something that others can actually become actively defensive about. Like I was at a retreat earlier this year. And over the course of a few days, um, I had shared a lot about myself, and my life and my experiences and my interests. And this one particular person, just kind of continually kept like teasing me in a way that like i didn't find was kind about just how many things i liked and you know or if i expressed interest in something that was sort of unusual um kind of like this eye roll like oh of course you know kate would be into that and i just remember having this conversation with him about um goat yoga so if you're not familiar you know you can take outdoor yoga lessons where there are little baby pygmy goats that are just kind of prancing around and or like climbing on your back. And it's adorable. And he just could not understand the point of goat yoga. And I was just like, does there have to be a point? Or like, can the point just be that it makes you happy? And... Like the fact that you might be willing to be weird will scare some people because it's not something that they're naturally able to allow themselves to do for whatever reason. And on the flip side, though, I see people who do embrace embrace kind of their weird have a hard time walking this line between being whimsical and embodying something that feels a little bit more like irreverence. And I'm not saying that is necessarily a bad thing because many people are justified in being angry about the roles that they're put in or kind of these boxes that, you know, people expect them to stay within and in turn to like openly flout them in terms of like things that they're interested in or, you know, ways that they dress. But then I find that it becomes as much about not caring what other people think as it is about caring about the thing itself. Like kids, kids I don't think do that. Like they like what they like and that's it. And I just admire that. Um, you know, I can't say exactly how your brand could embrace whimsy. You know, it might not be something that is public facing, like maybe it's part of your client offboarding process where you give like a fun little client gift, maybe stickers. I mean, I love stickers, who doesn't love stickers. But like, as you start making connections between your playful interests and activities and your business, like that's a content goldmine. How do you draw the connections between these kind of silly things that you like and the work that you do? If As long as you're able to kind of bring it back and tie a really clear connection, you can bring that fun and silliness into your brand and still be professional. You know, we say this all the time, but it really is true. The personal and the professional are so intertwined as entrepreneurs so you know i encourage you to channel your inner child and just like let yourself have fun with it the spirit of curiosity and the genuine desire to learn and share can do really really big things for your business if you let it and for yourself too i mean and In the world as it is today, I think we could all use a little more warm and fuzzy, you know? So I just think this is a book that everybody could enjoy. So if you'd like to pick up a copy of The House in the Cerulean Sea, you know, check out the audiobook from your library or, you know, pick up a paperback Um, or if, you know, this is one that one of few books that I actually have in my physical collection um, because I just love revisiting it. So if you think that it's a book that you want to own too, and you want to support the show at the same time, um, I will share a link to my affiliate um, shops on Amazon and bookshop.org if you would like to add a copy to your collection. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the better with books podcast. If you like what you heard, please share with friends, fellow entrepreneurs, anyone who loves to read and you could leave a review on your preferred streaming platform so that this podcast can be found by other people who love books as much as we do. You can also support the show by purchasing the titles I discuss using my affiliate links, which you can find in the show notes. The books I discuss on the Better With Books podcast are not sponsored by any third parties. I just pick them because I like them. All opinions are my own. Join me again next Friday to nerd out about another book. And email me at kate at betterwithbookspodcast.com to let me know what you think about today's episode and anything else you might like me to talk about in the future. Until next time.